Well, good morning, Southlands. It is so good to be with you, uh, even though we're meeting online. Uh, it is so good to worship with you. You know, I'm so thankful that we can continue to be the people of God in this season, even if we're gathering in homes with our immediate family, or maybe we're gathering in uh, backyards with our life group or just small gatherings of friends, or perhaps you're joining us here on Sunday mornings in the studio for larger gatherings. It is so good to be the people of God, to be together, to continue to pursue Jesus, to worship him. And I am so grateful that you continue to press in. As JD said, you continue to worship in this season. We are so, so grateful for your love for Jesus, for your devotion to his word, for your love for his people. You know, I, I think I've grown in this season in my admiration and maybe the right word is empathy uh, for the Apostle Paul. Oftentimes in his letters in the New Testament, he's writing and he talks about how he longs to be with the people of God. And I, I used to think that was a nice kind of greeting that he would just say because it sounded good. But I now realize after a number of months apart from many of you, just what that feeling is. And Southlands, can I say that I long to be with you? Southlands Brea, I long to gather with all of you. And it's been amazing to have some of you join us here on Sundays in the studio. But I long to be with you. I long to see these seats filled and to be able to be together again. And I don't say that to twist your arm or to make you feel bad for staying home. I don't say that at all. I say it because I want you to know that I love you and I care about you and that we as your pastors care deeply for you. You know, as Paul says in Philippians 1, that he would pray for the Philippian church and he would do so with joy. We as your pastors continue to pray for you. And we do so with incredible joy. But we look forward to the day that we can be together again as the people of God in one place. While we rejoice that we are the people of God scattered in many places still at this time. We long for you, Southlands. You know, our world feels broken right now in many ways. If we're honest, our world always feels broken in some ways, right? Even before COVID was a thing and a word that we knew and used so often, I never imagined that COVID would be a regular part of my vocabulary, let alone my life. But even before that, we experienced the brokenness of our world, right? We experienced it in relational breakdown, in families, the breakdown of marriages, the breakdown of friendships. We experienced it in illness and in, in death, the loss of life. I know even in the last year, many people in this community have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost parents or aunts or uncles or grandparents. Some of you have lost children. And you say, I know the brokenness of the world. I have felt it. I have experienced it. I have grieved and mourned over it. But in this season, the last four months, I think one thing we've all experienced is we have all become acutely aware of the brokenness of our world. Something is not right. The fact that a virus can sweep across the world that can bring pain and suffering and sickness and death to so many, something's not right. You know, I think stats can sometimes be helpful and other times they can just kind of be mind-numbing. But this week we passed 11 million confirmed cases of COVID worldwide. Over 500,000 people worldwide have died from COVID. And I know, I know some of you are very eager to tell me about how the deaths are being misreported. 
how there were other conditions and that's what they actually died from. But can we just pause and say 500,000 people in the last few months worldwide have died. They were fathers, they were mothers, they were aunts and uncles, they were sons and daughters. They mattered and their communities and their families are grieving. They are experiencing the brokenness of the world right now. Not only is COVID spreading worldwide, but in our own country, we look around and we continue to see horrific acts of injustice. We continue to see systemic racism taking uh, uh, and playing out in our own country. We see men and women communities taking to the street to protest and to demand justice, to demand change. And we see in our own country that division, we just celebrated July 4th yesterday, but we see division is growing in our country. Now there's an us versus them mentality in, in greater ways than maybe ever before, or at least that many of us have experienced. Our world, our country feels, feels broken. And not only do we have people protesting for change and, and justice, we have people who are now going to, to protest and to show their displeasure of the protesters. Our world is broken, Southlands. Something is not right. And as I've thought and reflected on things in the last few months, I guess when you run out of shows to watch and you can't go outside and do many things, you begin to think deeply and ask big questions. But as I've thought about what I've, I've noticed and trends that I've seen, I've realized that we are lacking many things in this season. We are, we're lacking community. Many of us have felt the loss of community, the loss of being able to gather with friends or family as we used to, to gather as a church. Some of us are feeling the lack of resources, lost income from cut hours or lost jobs. Some of us are feeling the lack of health, right? Our, uh, our own congregation, our own community has members that have compromised immune systems who have to be extra cautious and extra vigilant in this time. And that has made your life feel more limited. One thing we have not been in short supply of in this season is opinions. I have heard more opinions than I care to, to recognize or to, to share. The amount of people who've approached me and said, can I tell you what's really going on? Because they read an article or saw a video. I've heard more conspiracy theories in the last three months than I probably have in the last 30 years. Everybody has an opinion and everyone feels this confidence to share that opinion with those around them. And Southlands, I want to say that we cannot be shaped by our culture in this way. We cannot fall into the trap and the temptation of an us versus them mentality. It's not a biblical value. It's not a biblical worldview. It's not something that we're given and we're not given the option of it as followers of Jesus. Our culture cannot shape us. We must instead be shaped by the word of God. We must instead be shaped by, shaped by the life of Jesus, how he calls us to live as his people. And this morning, we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at the words of Paul. But I believe the words of Paul to the Philippians in this chapter are in many ways the words of Jesus to us this morning. And so I want to ask and I want to appeal to you and encourage you to be receptive to the words that Paul says. To listen, to, to focus in, to give attention 
to what Jesus might be saying to us this morning. Because this passage speaks to our very day in many ways. So will you join me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1? As Paul says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And Jesus, this morning we come before you, God, and we say that we want to be shaped by you. We want to be shaped by your word. We want to be disciples who live like you lived. And so, Jesus, this morning I ask that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly, that you would open our, hear, our ears to hear you more fully, that you would actually empower us to live like you, that our lives would look like you, Jesus. We must be shaped by you. Our world does not have the answers. We cannot allow our culture to shape us. And so we come to you this morning, God, and we say, please, Lord, shape our hearts, shape our lives, make us more like you, Jesus. Amen. There's a lot in this passage. It's a passage that I have sat with for a couple of weeks now, and I've read and I've reflected on. And one of the things that actually captivated me right away is how Paul starts this passage. He starts with the word so. And if any of you have ever used the word so, you understand that typically when you're saying so, what you're doing is you're, you're letting people know that what came before is really important to what you're about to say. Right, so Paul is wanting the Philippians to acknowledge what he just talked about in Philippians 1 is gonna be really important to what he has to say here in Philippians 2. So let's recap quickly. What did Paul say in Philippians 1? He spoke about how much he took joy in the Philippian church, the love that he had for them, the desire that he had to be with them, the fact that they had been gospel partners with him, that even though Paul had been imprisoned, that they could take joy because the gospel was advancing. People were becoming bold to preach the gospel. And then he goes into, into what we talked about last week when, when J.D. led us through this well-known verse in verse 21 of chapter 1, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And, he's, and, and Paul's telling the Philippians, even if I die, the joy of my salvation cannot be taken from me. If I live, I carry on in the kingdom work. What a gift. But if I die, it's even better. I get to be with Jesus. And so he's telling the Philippians, no matter what we face, we can have joy because of the security of salvation. And then he lands here in chapter 2, 
And he says, so. And then he launches into this appeal. And this is not a casual appeal. Please understand that. This is not Paul saying, hey, if you could just do me a little favor here. No, Paul lays it on quite thick in verse 1. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ. Remember, I just told you that to live is Christ, to die is gain. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, if there's any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, that is an appeal. That is like, Paul is basically saying, if you actually love Jesus, if you actually are a partner in the gospel, if you actually love me and care about me, do this one thing for me. This is the appeal that you make when you need a big favor, when you need that friend who has that big truck and you need to, to move and you, you call him up and you say, hey, haven't talked to you in a while. How, you, how, how are things going? Have I mentioned how much I appreciate you? Have I mentioned how, how strong you are? How good looking you are? Have I told you what a great friend you are? In light of all that, I got a, I got a favor to ask. Could you show up on Saturday and bring your truck and uh, help load it and, and help me move? It's this sort of appeal where you're laying it on thick because what you're asking for is a big ask. And much, much bigger than what we would ask of saying, hey, can you help me move? Paul is saying, if there's any love for Jesus in you, Philippians, if there's any love for the gospel, and if you're really a partner in what God's doing, if you really love me, then do this one thing. And his ask is this, complete my joy. What an amazing appeal. What an amazing request. Complete my joy. Now, if we remember, Paul has told the Philippians how much joy he takes in them in chapter 1. But something's lacking, right? His joy is not yet complete. And so he says, complete my joy. And then he tells them how they will complete his joy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's telling them, Philippians, you can complete my joy by being a united people. By having unity in the body of Christ, you can complete my joy. And Southlands, what we need to see is that there is unity or there is joy in unity. When we as the people of God are united, there is joy to be found. Joy that apparently wasn't found by Paul in gospel partnership. Joy that wasn't found in gospel advance alone. There's some joy that comes when the people of God are united. That Paul is saying, I, I'm lacking this, Philippians. Please complete my joy. Southlands, do we believe that? Do we believe that there's joy in unity? I think oftentimes when we talk about unity, we talk about the labor that is involved with finding unity. We talk about that we have to fight for unity. We have to work for unity. That we have to really strive to be united as the people of God. And that is true. But what Paul is focusing on here this morning is that there is a joy that comes in unity. A joy that is not seemingly found in all these other amazing things that he's talked about in chapter 1. Southlands, there's a joy for us if we will be a united people. There's a joy that we can experience if we will be united as the body of Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there, right? He says, I want to appeal to you to be united. But then he goes on to tell them in verses 3 and 4 what it looks like to be of one mind, right? So he's saying, be of one mind, complete my joy. 
But he says, don't worry, I'm gonna explain to you exactly what one-mindedness looks like. And in verse three, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. What Paul is making so, so clear here to the Philippians is that yes, there is joy in unity, but unity is found in humility, right? They're going to be a unified people when they are a humble people, a community marked by the humility of Jesus. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. Consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. This is what Christian community should look like. This is what we should be marked by, is that we are a people who have the humility of Jesus, that we look to the interest of others over ourselves, that we look to the well-being of others over ourselves. And Southlands, do you believe that that is actually what Christian community can look like? Do you believe that's what it should look like? Because Paul is saying this is not only what it can look like, but it's what it should look like to be followers of Jesus. The amazing thing here is that Paul is not telling them that they need to all think the same thing or to believe exactly the same thing or to have the same interest, right? Verse four is quite clear. Look not only to your interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul is not calling the Philippians to uniformity. He's not, right? There's, there's apparently different interests, different interests that can be at play in this community and they can still have humility. So unity does not equal uniformity. Unity comes when the people of God humble themselves and consider one another over each other. There's an incredible quote by a man named Richard Sibbs. And Richard Sibbs was a Puritan preacher and writer from the 1500s. And he wrote a book called The Bruised Reed. And in it, it has this quote that uh, has struck me since I've heard it earlier this week. And it says, it would be a good contest amongst Christians one to labor to give no offense, and the other to labor to take none. The best men are severe to themselves, tender over others. The best men and women are severe to themselves and tender over others. And Southlands, I think this speaks to the reality of our cultural moment, is that our culture right now is, is telling us to be actually quite tender to ourselves to be quite gracious because we're in process, because we're messed up, because we're learning, because we're growing, but actually to be quite severe to others. It's telling us that when people step into a conversation and they don't have all the nuance and don't know all the implications of what they're saying, that we should be quite severe to them. It's telling us that when we step into those conversations, we should be quite gracious because we're learning and we're growing. I think that we are in a moment in our culture where pride, the desire to be right, the desire to hold others accountable, to be severe with them, is at all-time highs. And Southland, I want to say that we will never be a united people of God if we allow pride to fester and to sit in our hearts and to hide behind the doors of our heart. We will never be a united people. We may act united, we may be able to put on a good show and talk like we are united people of God, but when push comes to shove, the pride in our hearts will drive division into our community. And I say this because I've seen it happen. 
and I've felt it in my own life and my own heart in the last few months. See, I have a strong desire. You can ask my wife, she will attest to this. I have a strong desire to be right. Maybe an over, uh, a, a stronger desire than the average person to be right. And not only do I want to be right, but I'm actually quite good at when I'm wrong, I'm quite good at telling a narrative that somehow makes me right. My desire to be right is deep in my, in my heart. And in this season, I've had to realize that actually what it is, it's a pride that is festered in my heart that has caused me to want to be right and to know what is coming. And I've had to look in the mirror and say, Jesus, this, is, this does not serve you well. This does not serve your people well. Jesus does not need me to be right. He needs me to be humble. He needs me to be like him. He needs me to care for others over myself. And what happens when we desire and we allow pride to fester in our hearts is that we begin to hope for things that we would never hope for otherwise, right? We say, oh, well, I'm someone who's for masks, and I think masks are helpful. And you hear people early on who are like, no, masks don't matter. The science is out, masks don't matter. And then the, the, the more recent reports come out and says, no, masks are super important. They help spread the virus, they help stop the spread of the virus. And you take incredible joy in being right. But we're taking joy in the fact that people have gotten sick. And under normal circumstances, we would never do that. But pride has festered. And we actually draw these lines of us versus them, even in the body of Christ. We draw lines of those who want to gather in person and those who want to stay at home. We draw lines of those who are uh, worried about precautions and making sure that we're being wise and those who are saying, no, we need to have faith and we need to, to be confident as we come together to gather. And we draw these lines of us versus them. And what Paul is saying is this is not a biblical worldview. This is not a gospel value. We cannot allow pride to fester in our hearts, Southlands. Instead, we must be a community that is marked by humility. That is where we will find unity as the people of God. And so I want to ask, how are we doing? How are you doing this morning? When you think about your life, would you say that you're someone who is severe to yourself and tender to others? Are you quick to say, man, there's sin in me that must be rooted out. It must be changed. I must lay it down at the foot of the cross but I'm gonna be gracious to others, understanding they're growing, that they're in process. Or do you find that like many of us, you're quite gracious to yourself and you're quite severe to others. Southlands, we cannot be people who are shaped by our culture in this way. We must be shaped by the word of God. And I want you to know, I don't just wanna come down heavy on you Southlands, because I think in many ways I've seen men and women in this community model so well what Paul is speaking of here. You know, the first person that comes to mind for me is Lauren Wetzel. And she will not appreciate being singled out because it goes against everything she is about. But in this season, she has recognized <clears throat> that I have often been working long hours or a lot of days. And I don't say that to request any sympathy. If you know me, you know I'm not interested in that. But what Lauren has seen is that my wife and my kids have carried that burden of me being busy and working long hours. And so Lauren on a number of occasions has texted my wife Shannon and said, Shannon, I know that Joel's been working a lot. Shannon, I know that you've been working a lot, trying to keep kids ministry going, trying to do Zoom calls with elementary schoolers to make sure they're 
talking about their memory verses and they're growing as disciples of Jesus, recording video lessons for kids to watch on Sundays. And so Lauren has just said, I know you're, you're busy. And so I want to bring you a dinner. I want to bring you a meal. I want to bring you dinner. Give you a break, a chance to catch your breath. The reality is Lauren is not looking for and does not need more things in her life to keep her busy. She has her own kids that are also at home, that she's also trying to help navigate the online schooling thing. And her husband's also working long hours and has been very busy. And they lead a community, uh, a life group community that actually started in this season that meets online. But yet she's saying, I'm going to actually choose to prefer another. Even though I could easily say that I'm too busy, that I have too much going on, I'm gonna choose to care for someone else. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what this is. That's the community he calls us to be. Esther Chung, similarly, will not appreciate being singled out, but she, one of the first Sundays that we began to gather again in person, she knew that I would be coming to church alone, that my wife Shannon and our young daughters would stay at home. And so she loaded up her three boys and went and got donuts and brought them by. I dropped them off at our house for my daughters and my wife so that my daughters could have something special on Sunday. So that my wife would know that someone sees and knows that Sundays can be challenging because I'm here at the church early and she's home with our daughters alone. The reality is Esther is doing the same thing. Her husband Daniel shows up here earlier than I do on Sunday mornings by himself to lead the band in rehearsal, to lead worship for us as the people of God. But she's saying, rather than sitting and saying, I have enough going on, she says, I'm going to prefer someone else. I'm going to think about others. I'm going to put their interest over my own. Daniel Chung, I just said, he shows up here every week, Sunday mornings, by himself. His family stays home. His preference would be to worship with his family. But for the well-being of others, he shows up here. Steve Wetzel shows up here Sunday mornings. And his family stays home. His preference would be to worship with his family. But he shows up to set up cones and ropes and to take temperatures and to clean chairs that we might be able to encounter Jesus together. That is what Paul is talking about here. That's what he means when he says to be a community that does nothing from selfish ambition to consider others over yourselves. That's what it means, Southlands. That's what it looks like. And the amazing thing is that when we do that, we encounter incredible joy. The amount of joy that donuts dropped off at my doorstep for my daughters brought to our family was, was crazy, right? Donuts aren't gonna change our lives. Maybe sometimes it feels like they will, but donuts aren't gonna really change our lives. But in that moment, it brought incredible joy to my family because they know and they knew in that moment that someone cared about them. Someone saw them. Someone was going out of their way to love them. That is what Paul is calling us to. So Southlands, is that what our lives are marked by? Is that what we look like? And depending on how you answer that question, I have either good or bad news for you. And conveniently enough for me, they come in the same point. If you look at that and you go, that's what my life looks like. I am someone who is living in, in, in a posture of preferring others, of caring for others, of going out of my way to make sure others are loved and seen. The good news is that you are walking in the way of Jesus. The bad news, if you look at your life and you go, actually, I, I'm not. I've given myself over to the cultural norm of self-protectionism where I've, I've kind of shrunk back and I live to look out for myself and I consider myself 
over others. The bad news I have for you is that humility is the way of Jesus. See, when we sign up to follow Jesus, we don't get an option to be humble or not. Humility is not some optional extra in the Christian life. It's not something reserved for the super spiritual. Growing up, I thought that the super spiritual, like the old women in my church, they were the ones who were humble. They had figured it out. They were super spiritual. Humility is not reserved for the super spiritual, Southlands. It is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. And Paul makes this so clear in verse 5. When he says, again, he's appealed to them to be of one mind, to be united, to have unity in the body. And he says, that one-mindedness looks like humility. And then in verse 5, he says, have this mind, this mind of humility among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We will get this mind of humility, this one-mindedness from Jesus because he's the model of what it means to be humble. In verse 6, Paul carries on and says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus was God, seated at the, at the right hand of the Father. But he was willing, in verse 7, to empty himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. From the very beginning of Jesus coming to earth, it is an incredible act of humility. He is going from being God, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and instead he's saying, I'm going to choose to come and humble myself and live amongst the creation that I have created. And not only that, but he comes as a servant, a man of low status with no claim to riches and to wealth and to comfort. And as I thought about this, Southlands, I've been actually blown away by the fact that Jesus could have came to earth as a king. He could have come to earth as Caesar, right? He could have shown up and been born in a palace with riches and with spoils and with all the comforts the world has to offer. And if he had done that, it would still be the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. It would still be the greatest act of humility the world's ever seen for him to come from heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and to dwell in his creation. But he goes even further and he comes as a servant. And he lays down any claim to riches, any claim to status, and he comes as a son of a carpenter, born in a stable. And then in verse 8, Paul tells us, that being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only does he come and dwell amongst his creation in an incredible act of humility, he comes as a man with no status. And then he comes, not as a man just with no status, but he's willing to be obedient to the point of dying the most brutal death that was reserved for the most vile of criminals. The cross is the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. That the God of the universe, the God of all creation, would come and dwell amongst his people and die on a cross for our benefit. He is the model of what Paul is calling us to here, Southlands. Jesus has modeled for us what it looks like to prefer others over himself. He did not choose the comfort of heaven, but instead came and suffered and died that you and I might benefit that you and I might get to receive him and to find unity with the Father. Unity is found in humility. It's found in the humility of the cross and it's found in the humility of Christian community. And so Southlands, when we choose to follow Jesus, we choose a life of humility. 
It is the way of Jesus. Before he ever did a miracle on this earth, before he ever spoke a word as a, as a small child in Bethlehem, he had acted in incredible humility for us. He is our model. And the incredible thing is that in Hebrews 12, when it talks about this very moment of Jesus going to the cross, it says that for the sake of the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. For the sake of the joy, Southlands, the same joy that Paul is talking about, that when we're a humble community who love one another, we will be a uni united people of God, that we will find joy. It's the joy that Jesus found. It's the joy that allowed him to go to the cross in this incredible act of humility. And so Southlands, my appeal to you this morning, my request to you this morning is that you would make my joy complete. That you would make my joy complete by being a community marked by humility. That you would make the joy of the elders and your pastors complete by being a people who will choose to prefer others over yourselves. Who will decide that your opinion is not the most important thing but that actually preferring others and loving them is what we're called to when we follow Jesus. Will you make my joy complete? Southlands, we may never be the largest church. We may never be the most influential church. We may never sell the most books or write the most worship songs, but Southlands, my prayer is that we would be this community. My prayer is that we would be a community that when people look at us, they say, that's a community that loves each other. That's a community that prefers one another. That's a community that exists for the well-being of those even outside their walls. That we would be a community that are spoken of often as doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's my prayer for us Southlands. And the thing is, our world desperately needs us to be that. Our world absolutely needs Christians who will live in the way of Jesus. They need to see a model of a community that can actually prefer each other, that can be severe towards themselves and gracious towards others. A community that says we're not gonna fall into the trap of self-preservation and self-protectionism, but instead we're gonna fall into the trap of self-sacrifice and the rhythm of, of giving ourselves away for the benefit of others. Southlands, that is what it means to be the people of God. That we would know him that we would be of one mind, and that we would walk in the way of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are grateful. We come to you as a grateful people because we are benefited from the greatest act of humility the world has ever seen. That we get to be united to you and to the Father because of your humility. And Jesus, I pray this morning that you would shape our lives by this passage, that we would be people who'd be marked by humility. That we would walk in your ways, Jesus. That we would follow you fully. And that we would find the joy that comes from being a united body of Christ who loves and cares for and prefers one another. Amen. Southlands, as we land, I want to call us to worship. You know, this passage ends with verses 9, 10, and 11, where it says that God actually exalted the name of Jesus above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And so Southlands, I want us to do that now in our homes, in our backyards. I want us to profess and to confess the name of Jesus above every name, that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So will you worship with me? Will you worship in light of this incredible humility of Jesus, the one who is highly exalted above all names? Amen.